welcome Brian Schwartz. Thank you all. I am pretty amazing. Let's just be honest. <laughs> I've got an incredible woman with me, Diane, my wife. Diane, stand up and show everybody how hot you are. Yeah, yeah she's incredible. Um, I met Diane about halfway, th well, at the beginning part of our freshman year in college, and then she finally came to her senses and started dating me halfway through our first year. Uh, leading up to that, there were some moments where in today's culture I would have been arrested. I was a bit what you'd call stalker-ish in my pursuit of her. I ended up in her dorm room several times with she couldn't figure out how I got in there. You know, moments like that, it was, you know, passion looks like something, right? It's called pursuit. Mine was a little bit creepy, but somehow she, uh, she overcame that fear of my creepiness and um, as Joey said, Joey and Kelly are amazing, not just friends, but leaders in the kingdom of God, and so excited we get to do life with them, partner with them in ministry, and get to, man, just see the fruit of a lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of hard work, honestly, like you guys sitting in these chairs is a miracle. When I look at what God's doing here, uh, I treasure these moments, because uh, you guys all represent something that's miraculous. And that's God getting a hold of our hearts and bringing us together, us attempting to do life together, is pretty, uh, pretty miraculous. Would you guys agree? So can we thank you guys as leaders, Joey and Kelly and the whole team? Uh, it's, just, it's just amazing. Chuck and Anna and just all you guys. Um, the worship was tremendous tonight. Thank you, worship team. Can we thank those? I feel like we need to thank our worship team. Um, And can we just clap for me one more time? I just feel like, um, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Some of you are like, this guy is so arrogant. It's true. <laughs> but I just know how much he loves me. Um, turnover, I, I, I felt, it was really strange during worship. Um, how do I say this without getting in trouble? Okay. Have you guys ever had those oh crap moments? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Can I say that here? Some of you might be offended at me that I said that, and I'm really, really sorry if that offends you. Yeah, you said balls. I feel like you said <laughs> balls in church. Um, yeah, so it could be a word for somebody. I don't know. But anyway... Um, you know, all throughout human history, God moves upon people to go and pursue the most unlikely people, right? And, and we see examples of this, of God wanting to rescue people over and over and over. In the book of Acts, I, I, was, I was thinking about Saul, you know, the conversion of Saul. And the name Saul means desired, you know, so his name, God, it just means desirable. And somehow in Paul's deception, God saw him desirable. Now, I know there was a long period in my life where I walked completely deceived. 
Anybody else relate to that? You know, before I came to, my, to, to know Jesus and encounter his love, I'd walked 23 years deceived. And when I encountered that love for the first time and was awakened to his goodness, I'm so grateful that what we just sang about is true. Like, he's the one that never stops pursuing. And before we get into the meat of the message, I just want to just just tell you guys, you're like super valuable. I know that sounds like we sit in meeting, well, yeah, great. No, but like you're like, there's a value over your life that I don't think you realize you possess. In every seat in this room, every man, woman, and child represents value that can be radically invested in changing the world we live in. And Saul, you know, when you look at Saul, obviously he was, he was causing a lot of fear. And in Acts chapter 9, if you want to, want to turn over there, um, so there's a, there was a disciple in Damascus, Damascus named Ananias. Everybody say Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Now, what led up to this moment is probably Ananias is in a place of, he's praying out of fear and desperation. I mean, can we just be straight up? What's going on in our world right now, all this stuff, Hebrews 12, 26 through 29 says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, right? And, and it's in context with an unshakable kingdom. When, when the unshakable invades the shakable, the shakable starts shaking. And, and what it happens when the shaking occurs, it, it, it reveals what is manufactured. It reveals what just isn't eternal. It reveals, it, it reveals stuff that when you get before Jesus one day and his, the fire hits that, that work, right? It says that there's going to be a work that can get, like fire's going to reveal the quality of each man's work. And the kingdom be, coming now, I'm so grateful that the shaking's happening because it's revealing what we could actually deal with in our culture and our world. If you don't know what you're suffering from, it's real hard to be cured of it. And so I just want to encourage us as a body, as the bride of Christ, like we're in a really cool season if you understand the way the Lord works. Uh, we're in a time, when I'm reading in the book of Acts here, you're in a time where there's incredible shaking going on in the early church. There's a lot of scared people. And fear is a big thing right now in our world. Have you ever noticed you, you revert back to default patterns when you get into fear? And usually we get into fear when we feel like things are out of control. And then when we feel like stuff is out of control, out of our control, then we usually get into fear. And then when we get into fear, we usually default to patterns that we normally use to help bring balance and control. Okay? And so the early church is freaking out. And Ananias is probably one of those guys praying for God to take Paul out. Honestly, I bet he is. Lord, do something do some about this guy. He's, he's a terrorist to what we're trying to do, and Lord, take him out. And then the Lord answers his prayer. And he has one of those moments, those oh, they, see, that, those oh moments, right? 
And, and, and the Lord comes to him, and he's like, oh, I'm sure Ananias is pumped. The Lord's answering his prayer, right? And then he, the Lord goes, rise up, go to the street called Straight, go to the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Oh, crap. It's like the very one who's his enemy, God's now going, you asked me to take him out, and I'm going to take you in to bring him out. And we live in a time right now where all this stuff's coming out, right? It's real easy to get in that spirit of, of taking sides and partisanship and like everything's like being shaken. The stuff that's coming out and being revealed Guys, it's, it's been there a long time. I don't know why we're shocked that it's now being revealed. It's being revealed for a reason. I think, it, I think the Lord's like allowing it to test the church to see actually how she responds. And, and Ananias, in that moment, answers the Lord, I've heard from many about this man. And anytime you don't use a name, That, that person has, has ceased to be human at some level. When you hear, my, when you hear those words, X, the X, could be ex-husband, ex-wife, ex-boss. When you hear statements that define somebody by that, that, that individual is not hum, has lost some humanity because it's the way we cope and deal with our pain. It's very normal, and, 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 and the Lord understands it. He just wants to move us to a different place. Now, how many of you like to see God move radically tonight? In your life, individually, corporately, in this region, this area? I, I totally want that. I love all the goodies of heaven. I, I, I dig that. That's amazing. I love when the power of God hits, when the anointing hits, burdens lift, right? Yokes get broken. All that terminology is amazing. But there's also a part of this ability to carry and continue in that that is really important. And I, I, I want to lay hands on, if I can lay hands on all your, your, fa- your heads tonight, and, and, and I almost said chunky faces. I don't know where that, that's weird. Chunky faces. Maybe, yeah. Anyway, um, (laughs) and I just don't want us to get in a trap where it's okay for us to have a mindset that we have enemies. That's difficult when there's very real enemies, seemingly, right? So he doesn't have a name to Ananias right now. And, um, and Ananias, you know, he says, I've heard about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Uh, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And, but the Lord said to him, Go. For he's a chosen instrument of mine. You imagine, like we know the end of the story, but can you imagine you're Ananias? And you hear God himself, the Lord himself go, 
And, and Ananias knew what Saul meant. Like, aren't you glad God is serious about how he sees you? And, and, and he's, com- he's confused. What if, what if the enemy holds something for your life of value? You don't seem excited about that, but there's a truth here that God wants to get at. We see it all throughout the scriptures exemplified through Jesus. I mean, who he ran with and who he operated with and who he laid hands on and who he considered a neighbor is unfathomable, especially in his day. And he commissions Ananias to go. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings and the children of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer. Now, I bet Ananias was like, yeah, sweet. At that, for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him. I love this. Something happened in Ananias' heart. You see him go, brother Saul. There might be some people that you have related to currently or in the past that have lost a name to you. And I think God wants to give them back their name for you. So you can extend something to them, maybe not ever in person, but in the spirit, so that they could become unlocked. God is so generous, and he, he promises, according to the standard we use, he will use in giving to us. So, like, if we're bound by some of these things, that, that fear and hurt and pain, and how many of you have been hurt? <laughs> right? How many of you have been hurt bad? Like, honestly, like, trauma happened in your life, and it's just awful. How many of you have been rejected? How many of you enjoyed those moments? <laughs> Joey almost raised his hand. <laughs> I feel like I have too. That's really weird. <laughs> yeah, reject me. Bring it. <laughs> How many of you been hurt by other brothers and sisters in the Lord? Why are you half-masking it? No, how many of you have been hurt by other brothers and sisters in the Lord? And the truth is, the people sitting next to you, as awesome as they are, represent a threat to you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a possible threat to me. (laughs) I'm just being straight up. This is after years of pastoring. I've pastored churches, I've planted churches, I've been all over the world, I've, I've seen miracles, I've seen signs and wonders, I'm so grateful I've gotten to participate in the kingdom advancement. But the reality is, one of the only tangible markers to know if you're really maturing in the Lord is how you treat each other. Because you can lay hands on the sick and they recover and you still be mean to your wife. Or you still are angry at a boss. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like it's so easy to go lay hands on people overseas. And yet how difficult it can be to lay hands on those closest to you. 
I feel like God wants to, like, bring stuff home. Like, you're comfortable in your house operating in the gifts of the Spirit. If you're comfortable there and can see the gifts of the Spirit work at home, they'll work tremendous everywhere else. But it's weird. It's almost like we do it here, but then when we get home, we feel crippled and paralyzed. Like, we need the gifts of the Spirit. I need words of knowledge for my kids. I need the gift of healing for my kids. I feel like God wants to do something in the church to where we start dealing with our brother issues. There's a lot of great stuff on daddy issues. But honestly, sometimes I think the daddy issues get in the way of dealing with real brother issues. And we use our daddy issues to promote hurt with brothers. I feel like God wants to, like, heal brotherhood, sisterhood tonight. And then we're real generous. What if we're really generous tonight and we release and forgive at a whole nother level? Like we have a huge container, a huge measure we give out. Then we should fully expect to receive something of that same magnitude and measure. But sometimes we get in these settings and we want, we, we want a big measurable back to us, but we're unwilling to like extend a big measurable to somebody else. Right? So we have a teaspoon to give out, but we want five-gallon bucketfuls poured out on us. Imagine the day when we all come in here to our worship expression, we know nobody has anything against us. Like there's not another human on the planet you have anything against, and nobody has anything against you. you imagine how unbelievable worship would be? Wouldn't that be cool? How many of you could honestly say right now, you know, if you thought hard, of, hard enough, you could remember somebody that might have something against you? Lift your hands up. Look around the room. Keep them up. <laughs> like you could, you could recall, they could possibly have something against you, right? And Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't murder. Right? Conventional wisdom says not murdering helps community. (laughs) Right? That's awesome. Just don't kill each other. Everything is going to be fine. And Jesus always departed from conventional wisdom. He said, you've heard it said that way, but here's what I say. And then he goes through that progression, right? And he goes, when you get to the point of name calling, you're liable to a fire you don't want. He used the word hell, which is Gehenna, which is an actual trash heap where they would burn trash outside of Jerusalem. Okay, so and then he goes, so he, he articulates that, and then he goes, he doesn't go, don't be angry. That's just silly. Imagine me coming up, to, don't be angry tonight. That, that's unrealistic. How many of you, I've already been angry tonight once, or today. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So you all know people have stuff against you, and you're angry. (laughs) This is my kind of church. (laughs) Right? Jesus says, okay, take your anger. Traditional wisdom says don't murder. I say to you, there's a cycle that can develop in your life when you don't deal with unresolved anger. He says, deal with your unresolved anger, and then... 
go quickly and settle things. And he says, if you're in worship, like tonight, when you're in worship, he goes, if you remember anybody has anything against you, leave your gift there, go be, make peace with them, and then come back and give your gift. That's kind of a crazy statement. Now, how many of you know somebody's got something against you? Lift your hands back up. His solution would be, don't stage act. Over, right? Overwhelming. I don't remember any of the words. Never ending. Reckless. All of that, right? <laughs> and like he sincerely means, he's like the cure for the issue of anger is, is not stage acting and actually dealing with your unresolved anger. How many want to participate in the kingdom move of God? You want to be an active participant. I'm not trying to get all heavy and, 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 and corrective here, but I believe that the way to sustain the move of God is to, like, keep the pollution out as best we can. How many want to see, I don't want to just have a revival, I want a sustained revival. So I feel like sometimes we need to examine what actually, how can we prepare to be these containers that continue to carry it? And then people on the outside that are out there hurting and dying and lost could look at us and go, they're not perfect, but man, they resolve their issues good. Man, I so appreciate the fact that nobody showed up at worship because they all were dealing with their offenses with others. <laughs> Because sometimes there's a deception to think that dad, you know, the father's receiving a gift, and yet we're at war with somebody else. Do you, do you see the weird part of that? Like me as a dad, just think logically as a parent, how many parents we have? If, if, if okay, so one of my kids is, is, has deeply offended another one of my other kids or hurt them, right? And then we go, hey, guys, let's have dinner. Right? And so we're sitting at the dinner table. And the one that did the offending goes, Daddy, Daddy, I've got this awesome gift to give you. And I know about what's happened. As a dad, I'm going to have a tough time receiving, knowing that he intentionally, willfully hurt his brother. You see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm going to go, your gift means very little to me right now. Why don't you go give that to your brother? It's, it's like we have this... We know intuitively we'd never support that in our own house. But yet sometimes in these environments we can. I've done it myself as a pastor. Totally been angry at the people I was preaching to. <laughs> Seriously. Like literally offended at what you guys represent. Because I've had so many people that came into a church and they told me they loved me. And then they didn't love me anymore. And then they left. And then, and then they didn't handle it like I thought they should handle it. You know, biblically. <laughs> and then I got to get up the next week and go, praise Jesus, overwhelming, never ending.
And the Lord's just kind of gone to me like I'm no more stage acting, buddy. Just kind of, I think you're cute and cuddly. I feel like the Father loves me and thinks I'm cute and cuddly and all that. But, golly, not a, it's hard for him to, like, receive a gift from me when I'm at war with one of my brothers. So part of tonight is, like, pulling back the veil on some levels of deception because it'll give you an opportunity to draw near at a whole other level. And when you start measuring out with abundance, like your measure is huge and gracious and merciful, then you start to experience this overwhelming, uh, abundant, merciful gift that gets poured out upon your life. And it creates stuff you never could have created. Like God's trying to help Ananias, right? To get over this, this thing in him that still wants to, to, for God to deal with somebody. Take them out, God. You ever thought that about an enemy? <laughs> Not, you know? Then go over to Acts 10. You don't have to turn there, but Acts 10, Peter has an oh crap moment. Sitting on the top of a, of a roof, right, praying. Dude's hungry. Anybody hungry? He's hungry. Sheet falls out of heaven with all kinds of four-legged creatures that, that he's never eaten or, or participated in eating them. And Jesus himself says, rise up, Peter, kill and what? Eat. And Peter goes, by no means. I, my, my mouth is, I'm, no, that's unclean. I've been trained that's unclean. Correct? And then Jesus goes, no. Three times it happened, right? And then the, the, the Gentiles show up, and he risks and he goes. That was an oh crap moment. You want to know why? Because Peter had been trained that I can't go in the home of a Gentile. This is after a lot of time with Jesus. So we probably have some work too, right? But it's like he, God just complicated everything for Peter. For Peter, the world was simple. There's two groups. There's one group that's in and one group that's out. And then Jesus goes, no, they're in too. I mean, we don't fathom like the magnitude of a moment like this with Peter. God going, the very ones your whole life you've been trained to view a certain way because of their beliefs, because of their skin color, because of everything. I'm now going to send you into them. That's amazing. And no longer were there groups. And Jesus makes this incredible statement, what I call clean, let no man call common. So sometimes we get in these modes of different people's dysfunction and we kind of we kind of label them. You ever done that? Those idiots kneeling for the national anthem. <laughs> you, you see, we we kind of just go, and it's 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 logical, like right. It's so insulting at many levels, right? 
especially knowing there's military personnel right here in this room that we're going to pray for, by the way. You know, and the audacity for like a guy like me to go, don't, don't let them not be human to you. That's a big ask. But yet, it's, it's what Jesus did. Like, if you really want to follow in his steps, you've got re- to realize that there was one time that you and I were both enemies of him at some level. And the Bible says in Romans 5, while we were still enemies, he died for us. That's crazy. But I feel like God can trust people when they start moving. At least, I'm just asking, maybe we start moving towards a certain direction tonight. I'm not saying everything has to get solved tonight, and you've got to forgive everybody. But there, there would be a hope in my heart that we as a, the church could start progressing in such a way where we, we don't have the in and out mindset and we realize that the sun shines upon the both, the righteous and the unrighteous, and the rain falls upon both, and therefore God must value them if he likes little sparrows. When I grew up on a farm, sparrows were target practice. And he knows when they fall to the ground, and he cares about them. So if God loves something that, that, that is that simple, how much he must love humanity. And he just adores humanity. In all of our interesting manifestations of that humanity. And there's a lot. Go over to uh, Luke chapter 10. You guys still with me? I'm, uh, are you sure it's good stuff? Because I... I feel like this is the stuff that if you get this stuff, like you're going to get other guys come through and lay hands on you, guarantee it. But this is the stuff that when you go to bed at night, you don't let the sun go down in your anger, you know what I mean? You go to bed at night and your conscience is clean. You step into moments of worship and prayer the next day and your conscience is clean. These are the moments where you can encounter God at another level when your heart gets to the point of purity because the pure of heart see God. Don't they? Luke chapter 10. um, We'll just go through this quickly. That's how devils feel right now. Hold on a second. Yeah. Luke 10, uh, 25. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many know the parable of the Good Samaritan? How many of you don't know the parable of the Good Samaritan? Okay, so most of us, does that mean all of us do? Okay. So a lawyer stands up. Now, lawyers were paid to interpret the Torah, right? They knew what they were talking about, and they had an interpretation of the Torah, and it was very common as, as a lawyer, if a rabbi or a teacher came through, you ask questions. How do you interpret the Torah? And he goes, he, he stands up, says, teacher, how do I get this thing called eternal life? Now, one thing you got to remember back in Jesus' day, eternal life wasn't future. 
We've made heaven, like the kingdom of heaven, like an escape plan sometimes, like an evacuation route. But for these guys, when he's asking, how do you interpret the Torah for this Zoe, this, this, this eternal life, how do I engage with that? How do I, par- how do I participate in this life that we know exists? Because they felt like if you took the Torah and interpreted it correctly, you could enter into that life. And so he asked Jesus, and he says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Which is very normal back then. Like Jesus answering a question with a question, very normal. He says, how do you read the law? What's it say to you? And he goes, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your neighbor as yourself, right? Quotes from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Nails it. Perfect answer. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this. You'll live. You'll have this life. This is how you participate in life. Do these two impossible things and it's going to be awesome. But desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? And here's where you understand this guy, this is the issue he has with Jesus, who Jesus runs with. He had heard about the whole Zacchaeus thing. Zacchaeus, out of everybody else, I got to eat with you today. He had heard about Matthew's big party with all the other sinners and tax collectors. His issue with Jesus was how Jesus interpreted the law was radically different. Jesus went into sinners' houses. And so this guy has a problem with who the neighbor is, who Jesus hangs out with. And this is where it always, it, it comes down to this. Like, and we know Jesus even said that. I, you've heard it say, love your neighbor as yourself, but I say, love your enemy. Right? It always goes to that level. He takes this thing to the next level. It's just how powerful the experience we could have in coming to not just know him, but grow up into him. We could become lovers of enemies. That'll be an amazing moment in our lives, won't it? I'm trying to get there. I'm not there completely yet. I'm just going to be straight up with you. Can I be that honest with you? I want to get to that point before I leave this earth, this age, and enter into the age to come, you know? I want to know that I, I swung real hard, you know what I mean? And I had no, even my enemies, I found a place of compassion and love for. That's going to be a cool place to get to. I'm on my way. I feel like I'm trying to get there. I feel like tonight is just, just a reminder Let's, let's start going a direction, right? And then Jesus, of course, gives that, that, that parable, that, that story of a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among robbers, stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now if you study this out, the, the, the path was really narrow. There was a rock on one side and a cliff on the other. So literally, these guys had to step over this guy. It was probably two feet wide, the path. There's actually humor going on here. Jesus is making fun. He's, he's having, he's, it's a fun moment. The picture was absurd. These guys were sitting there going, they, they've taken that route. And so basically, this guy would have to like tiptoe around this guy to avoid him. 
And we're bumping into people all the time, aren't we, that are oozing and gushing wounds. And they had to weigh the cost. The, the cost was the, the law said, don't touch somebody that has bodily fluids coming out of them. <laughs> Which I think is pretty wise, honestly. <laughs> I, I think that's a good idea. That helps community. <laughs> but then another part of the law said, love your neighbor. So what do you do in those moments? When maybe tradition or your life told you don't ever, they're not reachable or they're not, you know, and then you bump into them. And you're confronted like, I remember this one time, a family that had actually left the church um, when we were pastoring in Denver and we were pulling, we, were, we just finished an awesome service, man. God moved powerfully. I think that day I had gold dust uh, appear when I was preaching, only enhancing what you see in front of you. Imagine this with gold dust. But we were like going, man, God moved. People got healed and touched. And we're, we're, we jump in our large Dodge Sprinter that carries 10. And we take our family of nine over to Chipotle. And we were driving in the parking lot, and there's this whole family that's clearly homeless. And all the kids start going, Daddy, can we, can we give to these guys? We're like, yeah. So we pull over, and we just give them everything we got. And we walk into Chipotle, and there's this family that left the church over some of that strange stuff happening. <laughs> and I walk in, first thing out of his mouth is, yeah, we saw those guys too, but we prayed and discerned that they were going to misuse the money and, and spend it on. And I couldn't say anything else except, enjoy your Chipotle, bro. <laughs> I was just dumbfounded. Two different interpretations of the law. Not, I'm not saying there's something special in me in that moment, but it's like when you have to pray and, and try to discern when Jesus said if somebody needs it, you just give it. You've already done something in your heart before that moment. Like when this guy asks who's, it's like Cain. He goes, am I my brother's keeper? If, you, if that comes out of your mouth, you've probably already murdered a bunch of people. <laughs> like when you get to that point where it's like, do I really need to worry about everybody else? 